Siddhartha cut off his flesh to give to his parents, yet is not listed in the legends of filial, filial children. Am I saying that right? Filial children, yes. Yeah. Devadatta pushed over a mountain to crush the Buddha, but did he hear the sound of sudden thunder? Having passed through the forest of thorns and cut down the sandalwood tree, just wait till the year ends. As of old, early spring is still cold. Where is Buddha's body of reality? Case. What is the great meaning of Buddhism? What is the price of rice at Luling? <laughs> what is the great meaning of Buddhism? What is the price of rice in Luling? So this koan is so similar to the one we just um, talked about previously, where the king asked what the meaning what was the meaning of the sacred truths of Buddhism? And the answer was not sacred, right? Nothing sacred or, um, or. You want me to go to with that? Yeah, well, I think I have it here in the book. I can, I can just pull it up quickly so you don't have to switch. Here's what it says. Here we go. Okay. Oh no, this was a different one. Well, here's what it says. Emperor Wu of Liang asked great teacher Bodhidharma, what is the highest meaning of the holy truths? Bodhidharma said, empty, there's no holy. And then there are different versions of that. So this, these koans seem to be following a thread of great meaning, sacred meaning, holy truth. People want to know, you know, What's the bottom line of this practice? What's it all about? Do I get merit? You know, how do I know when, when I hit the bullseye, right? And that reminded me of a, a case that's in this book that they're going to start using at some point in the Wednesday noon practice. And the title is The Garden of, the Garden of Flowers and Weeds. And in it, there's a case um entitled human's upside down statement and here it goes a monk asked yunman it's not the mind of the present moment and it's not the object of the present moment so what is it and yunman said an up down upside down statement so when i read that I'm like, oh, okay, so what is this trying to tell me? Because I'm most of the time and I don't know mine. And part of the comic set, the comment says, asking the question, wait, I'll back up two sentences or three. The monk in this case is not merely posing a question. He's posing a question with luggage. He wants to express to his teacher that he has experienced his meditation practice. This is common in Dharma halls all over the world. Students ask questions to illustrate their own knowledge, not to illuminate their uncertainty. In this sense, the monk is not asking a question at all. He's making a statement. Because he disguises his statement as a question, it comes out upside down. The deep, there's a deeper level on how we approach questions about Zen. Having a question is swell. It means you don't understand. But asking the question is a different matter. It means you expect an answer. And most of the time, there is no answer. So as I wrote, my mind went back to one of the previous koans that we read, the second one. It went to that particular koan. Um, and it also reminded me of the Buddha holding up the flower when all his disciples were sitting around and wondering what the meaning of that sacred gesture was. And I don't know what the Buddha meant by it, but somehow he and his, well, who was it? Um, who was it who, who smiled with the Buddha over the flower? And he got it. And Kasha, so, Kasha, Kasha. 
I'm I'm sorry. And, and so as I as I sat with this, there was something that resonated with me because I really thought, what does he mean by great meaning? What does the monk, what is he really asking and asking about the great meaning? And I think the answer was your question is equivalent to asking, what's the price of rice? It tells you nothing about the rice, not its essence, not its taste, not anything about it. And so that's kind of where I went. I think one thing you hit on that, that I like is, is um, why does a monk ask like this heavy question? And, and, and often it's um, to impress the teacher. But it didn't, it kind of didn't work too well, did it? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it, but the teacher hopefully could see that he was just a young monk. You know, like if we asked Ed, what's the essence of a good photo? Exactly. Well, well Ed, Ed, Ed would put his thumb up. <laughs> I, really, I really appreciated what you communicated, Nelda, that the... Um, having a question as in sitting with a question is different than posing a question because often there's uh, an element of uh, needing and wanting to be seen and to be clever and yeah, to be clever yeah to, to yeah. have uh, put it forth in such a way especially in an open Forum. So I really um yeah, I, I that element of consideration I hadn't uh brought to mind before, so I appreciate that. Yeah, I I do really appreciate the way you came at that. That was very, very insightful to me. Anything more you want to say first, Nandia? Uh, so uh, maybe this is a very simplistic and kind of stupid view of the koan. However, um, it just seemed like uh, the question is very highfalutin and the answer is just very grounded. And uh, I think there's something to be said for the the simplicity and the I mean the rice that goes in one's bowl is is just as basic as it can be. So that to me felt significant. Don't I? Well, another thing Nelda said something about this idea of the price of rice is very different than like what is right something about beauty or or yes it did enjoyment or something about the, about the actual essence of rice is completely yeah, I like that away from Nelda. that yeah 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 and the other thing it hints at too I think and that was very astute Nelda is that he put a location with the price of rice because the price of rice is not going to be the same in everywhere. It's one thing in Luling, it's something else in Beijing. Um, so looking for that answer with that perspective, um, it's a waste of time. And I, yeah, this, this kind of brought three things up and thanks for answer for saying most of what I had to say now. I, I love that out of you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it kind of brought to mind a, a couple of things. Number one, that um, Buddhism can't be fully known through the discourse of words. Um, what's the, the saying is that if you can explain it, then you don't understand it and you don't have it. Um, 
And then there's also the, the teaching that the path to enlightenment starts with the first step. Yet there's also teachings that say there is no path, no searching is needed. And what you're searching for is not lost. It's right here and always has been. Um, so the whole thing about um, trying to find the great meaning, like you're searching for something, uh, it's not about searching. Um, and it made me think of that 10 ox parable, those drawings with the 10 oxes, because um, it's there all the time. So, um, you know, perhaps the whole thing is to lose the question, because that's not where the real relevance is. Um, and again, a reminder that that um, there are no vowels, there are no consonants that make words that can teach or answer that question of what is the great meaning of Buddhism. This is also a dig toward toward historically the Buddhism that came before it, that they were always moving. So, so in another, they were making fun of people who are tied to the sutras. So there's that element there that that uh, there's a great expanse of time between the question and the answer. So this is like the one is a Zen answer to a non-Zen question. I want to point out something that Ed brought up that I hadn't thought of, and that was the specific location of where rice was being priced, which is Luling. And so when the question is being asked by this monk, it's much like, our, mm, let me see if I can articulate this well. It's much like our, our thoughts and our feelings and even our practice, well, and how we deal with those thoughts and feelings, our, our mind body and our emotion body. Um, and that is that it changes, right? What I might be experiencing right now at a different time and place, I might experience differently. So that question, what is the price of rice in Luling? It's like, what, today, tomorrow, next year, last month, during the drought? And so I love the question. Thank you, Ed, for bringing that up because I hadn't really seen that additional nuance, that additional layer in it, because you really can't even name the price of rice. That's pretty cool, Nelda, because yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Suzuki Roshi was asked, what's the essence of Zen? And his answer was, everything changes. So at the Austin Zen Center, we had that in a big scroll right behind where the speaker wrote. So you would think of that as the same, the same koan. What is the meaning of, of Zen? Everything changes. And so, you know, saying that the price of rice is something that changes makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. I hadn't thought of it that way. That's really good. I like that. Well, credit to Ed. He brought it up first. <laughs> uh, credit to having been on a conversation for an hour and a half with Flint earlier today. <laughs> I don't cheat, but I do listen um, and sometimes learn. And the, the other little thing, too, is, um, you know, doing that little comparative analysis is that the question is, what is the great meaning of Buddhism? And if you're looking at the great meaning, and he says, what's the price of rice? That kind of takes that off the table, because the greatness of Buddhism, you would think, would be one thing. It would be a solid thing. It would be a consistent thing. It would be an immutable thing, if you will. But the price of rice in a particular geographic location is not that. So they're kind of going against each other to, to say, you know, ask the question, but the answer does not, you're not going to get the answer that you're looking for. And here's why, because the price of rice. Uh, Melissa, would you like to say yeah. something? I, I would. I, I wrote, and so I'm just, I'm going to read what I wrote. Okay. I feel like I put it better in words, in written words than spoken. Um, not very long. <clears throat> what is the price of rice in Luling? What does that have to do with the, uh, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? What indeed? Often in my life, I've found myself questioning things, you know, asking the big questions. 
what is the great meaning of Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, life? Often what comes to me is, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? Or in this case, the price of rice in Luli? I shake my head and I try to think great thoughts. How do, the, how do those questions come together? What is the great meaning? Then it comes to me, this question about luling or tea is the point. The point is I'm asking the wrong question or I'm looking at the answer to a more important question. In my life or the monk's life, is the great meaning of Buddhism what should be thought about or pondered or worked on? I think not. I think the great meaning of Buddhism is found in the koans, the teachings, and they're about how to live a good life or avoid a bad one, about how to treat everyday people, animals, nature, how to bring peace or joy, how to remove obstacles or learn from them. The question is not the great meaning of Buddhism. The question is, how are we to use Buddhism to lead and help others lead a good, meaningful, and honorable life? Wow, brava. That's great. And, and you know, the, the ultimate question in Buddhism is, how does this relieve suffering? Hmm. I didn't think about that. Well, I think you said it in different words. Yeah. How do we support life? Milan. I I was just playing with uh, some um, Chinese calligraphy and um, I was very much into the this idea that FNL that taught talked about the um, the price of the rice so i made this uh, calligraphy of uh, what means which means uh what do you say in english supply in the market like supply and demand is that the concept in english that's right yes yes yeah so so i made this uh, it's a beautiful kanji and uh, well mine was not beautiful <laughs> the kanjis and um, yeah, I was I was thinking about uh, Buddhism as supply and demand as life needs it, and that that was what I was in my mind. Right, I want to understand more about Buddhism as supply and demand. Yeah, like uh, as you mentioned, uh, everything changes, so the same answer is not for every case, right? So your posture or approach to things in terms of Buddhism could have been different for any situation or case and person, etc. So yeah, I was playing with that idea of the market, but with the Dharma teachings. Mm -hmm. And I know we've talked about, I know Nelda and I've talked about how what said it in a, we just talked about this, what said in a Dharma talk might be different than what's said in a practice discussion, which is a one-to-one -one thing, you know, meeting a person where they where they are. So yeah. Or the way to you um approach the precepts or things like that in in particular situations. So I think that the answer the monk gave was not um arbitrary. I think it was a pretty good answer the question i think that's important that if he had just said uh you know why why does uh the why is the moon in the sky that's almost like this that that's this this is a i i agree that it's a really good answer um should i read mine yes please I was in a comparative religions class. I didn't know anything except I had an uncle who wrote books about religion. I asked the teacher if he knew of his books. He was a quack, he said. Then he asked a question of the class. I don't remember the question, but it might have been, what is Zen? Maybe I said, a dripping faucet. 
Then he said, so you're going to be the, the wise ass. I dropped the class. <laughs> How does a minor official feel when he is given a lesson by a great master? I felt very small not having the confidence that I was on the right track. Was Quinian putting down the monk or generously teaching him? I don't think teachers put down their students or have that in I don't know. I don't know about <laughs> this teacher I had. Oh, you just gave teacher. a great well, example of that, of, of a teacher putting down a student. Yeah. yeah, but that was the secular teacher. This is, this is, um, Young. Yeah, that's that's yeah. the pearls of secular teaching, especially in college. They do hammer at you from time to time. Um, but I, I, I agree with Malen. That, that is such a beautiful, perfect answer. Um, you know, at an obvious level, at a nuanced level. And um, it shows a depth of learning and it makes it available for the monk who's asking the question. Is, it's obtuse, but it's not so dense as to leave you scratching your head going, what the hell? Like a faucet running? This is the great meaning of Buddhism? And then I tell you to get out of my class, Kim. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think he's in, a, in the best possible way giving him uh, access with, with love and consideration and tons of wisdom there. Well, I think that one of the things that um, sometimes people in general forget is that when you ask a question and you're given an answer, especially in a situation like this, the response is to be quiet and think, not to immediately react to what was said, to stop and think. Kim wasn't talking about some water faucet out in the backyard. He was talking about what that represented and how that related to Zen. The, the, the same thing here. He's talking about how the price of an ordinary item can represent so many things. Like Nelda showed us so many things, but you have to think about it. And you can't just respond. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Right? And then you go, yeah, you missed it. Okay. I'll I'll find somebody else. Bye. You know that, and I think that's the mark of a great of a great teacher and a great learner is for both of them to stop and think before speaking. I wish I could do that. I never did. I got very early in my corporate career, way way back in the last century. Um, my mentor at that point said he was going to give me some very, very good uh, advice. He gave me two pieces of advice. Um, fortunately, the best one he gave me first, but the second one he gave me was never ask a question you can't stand to hear the answer to. <laughs> and mm. that one was like, oh, geez, you know, should I just leave now and uh, go live on the beach or what? Nelda was saying in court, she doesn't. She wouldn't ask a question if she didn't know what what the answer was going to be. Well, yeah, that's a necessary lawyer thing. But the other the other thing that he told me too is those who would best serve must first learn best to no those who must those who must best lead must first learn best to serve. I like that one. Can we think that the monk maybe was testing Quinyan, asking a question uh, that he knew was ridiculous to see where how Quinyan would would play with it? I don't know, Kim. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I think we all go into practice discussion with differently phrased questions for a teacher. That essentially, although worded differently, comes down to this question. Why do I do this? Why am I here? Why am I holding this practice as my life? What, what, what is it that I'm holding? It seems so, 
nebulous sometimes, right? And contradictory. And um, and someone give me the answer, please, because my brain is aching and from trying to trying to figure it all out. I think I think it's a question that represents all of us, like Mel Melissa was saying that she's gone through life as as I would imagine each of us has different times asking the big questions. What is the meaning of life? What is this? Why is there disaster to like, uh, like in Hawaii right now to good people, you, you know? So I, I don't think he was, you know, you'd need to be pretty dull to test your Zen teacher. Right. Well, especially a very famous one. Yes. And you might have traveled a long distance. Yeah. So yeah. I think he really wanted to know. And even if he was testing him, does it matter? Even if the question was just stupid and um, the answer was freaking brilliant. So you got you got value out of it, no matter what, which, you know, that goes back to to say, you know, what's your intent? And, um, you know, good, bad and different, there's always something that comes out of it. And um, I, I think this, yeah, no matter what, uh, that that's kind of a, in a way, you know, if you really have been a monk and studying, that seems to be a meaningless question or not or kind of frivolous question what's the great meaning of buddhism but whether he meant it in a frivolous or an uneducated or even mean-spirited you know poking the bear that answer is priceless and it's beautiful and you know everybody wins in the end okay anyone else want to say anything before we read the commentary But what were you talking about the cons for the Wednesday night, Wednesday noon meditation? Oh, they're going to do a different book of koans that Nelda's been reading. I think um, Joel's was, was Joel the one reading it? I think so. Mm -hmm. Joel mentioned it in one of his Dharma talks and it sounded interesting. So I bought it and I'm in love with this book. It's so accessible. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's the title is can you see it? Yeah, I attended the last uh, noon meditation and he mentioned that. Okay, good. Um, Did they say when they were going to start? Next week. Ah. Not not this week, but next week. Okay. Yeah. Okay, who would like to read? Melissa? When you see all of those names, yeah, that's hard, but I'm happy to, if you'll help me with the names. Commentary. When Chan Master Singh of Qui-Gon Mountain in Jai province first called on 629 Patriarch, he immediately asked, what work should be done so as to be able not to fall into the steps and stages? Just a second. I think okay. the 29 is page 29, because this is a goofy thing. This, it's a sixth patriarch. Oh, okay. Well, that <laughs> makes much more sense, doesn't it? Yeah, Thank you okay. for saying that. Okay. 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 Um, not able to post tips. The patriarch said, what have you done? Quayon said, I do not even practice the holy truths. The patriarch said, if even the holy truths are not practiced, what steps or stages are there? The patriarch, consider, patriarch considered him to be of profound capacity. Although there are many people in the congregation of the sixth patriarch, the master Quion dwelt at their head. It was also like when the second patriarch said nothing, whereupon Bodhidharma told him, you have my morrow. Judging by this monk's question about the ultimate meaning of Buddhism teaching, he too was a true blue newcomer to the monastery. He wants to travel around the iron enclosing mountains with Manjushri. 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 Thank you. Man, Manjushri. The, Thank yeah, you. the Bodhisattva of wisdom. Okay. 
Ah, okay. Quayon was a man who didn't even practice the holy truths, yet he just makes it an ordinary encounter, looking back and ask, what is the price of rice in Luing? Some say the price of rice in Luing cannot be assessed. They hardly realize that they have already entered into the bushels and pecks and set up shop. Do you want to be able to avoid entering this company? Ask of Tan Tong. Oh, you want me to? I didn't realize. I thought it stopped there. His verse says, "The accomplishing work of great peace has no sign." Is the star on the banner showing yet? The family way of the peasants is most pristine. How does that compare to me where planting the fields and making rice balls to eat? Only concerned with village songs and festival drinking, the poor ghost is not really alive. How would they know of the virtues of Shun or the benevolence of Yao? Thus they achieve loyalty and finality. So just a couple of things historically. One is that uh, Zen is called the farmer's Buddhism. And so that kind of connects here. And the other is, um, oh, this, this connection to steps and stages that Theravadan forms of Buddhism had these these different jhanas or levels. Laura was talking to me today about seven levels, and there's four levels. And um, Zen is putting all that aside. So, so anyway, that's that's part of that. Anyone else want to say anything about this first commentary, and then we'll read another one. Okay, who'd like to read the second one? It's just right here. Thank you, Melan. I was gonna call on you. In eight in eight hundred thirty-two during the reign reign of Emperor Wansong of the Tang Dynasty, New Zhengru was prime minister. The emperor said to him, when will the land be at peace? Sangri replied, peaceful government has no special form. Now the surrounding nations are not invading and the farmers are not deserting. Although it is not the ultimate order, still it could be called somewhat healthy. If your majesty seeks a great peace beyond this, it is beyond my ability. He withdrew and repeatedly petitioned the emperor to be allowed to retire. He was sent out as an inspector of Wayanan. I said, he was already creating a model, drawing a likeness. Therefore, in rustic style, beating the earth and singing folk songs, ritual music and literary, literary embellishment turned into oddities. The price of rice in Luling is extremely profound and mysterious. The virtue of Shun, the benevolence of Yao, their sincerity and natural influence could influence. Could festival drinking and billaged songs be a match for that? The moon is white, the wind is pure, wind is pure, each rests in its own lot. Do you understand the return to the hell?
really makes you think about how to really answer a question, you know, rather than, so you either take it from the, the relative to the absolute, or you give some kind of, the questions are never quite right. You know, like when someone says, do you love me? You know, the yes or no doesn't, um, there's a lot better answers or more creative answers at least. Or what does grief feel like? How do you answer that? I mean, we, we saw one of our, uh, I, I, I can't, Osaka, Osaka this morning talk about missing his dad. Oh, I heard a little of that, yes. And that's what grief looks like, but I don't know what it feels like. I think it must feel sometimes a lot like love. You don't know. I don't understand when you say you don't know what it feels like. You've never in your life experienced grief. No, I think, well, I'm going to, can I try to answer? For I'm asking Nelda. Okay. Because of what she just she just she said did that. say that. Okay. Yes. So I'm happy to hear what you have to say, Kim. But I would very much like yes, Nelda, explain. I misspoke. I don't know how to describe what grief feels like. Of course, I've experienced grief. I lost a daughter. I've lost a sister and a mother. I, I was sure that you had. I mean, I don't think that uh, as human beings in the world we we live life and don't don't know this but how do you put that into words i thought that's what yeah nelda was saying how do you put it into words and that's like when robert frost was asked to explain one of his poems he said do you want me to tell you in other and worse language but i mean do we do we do we explain how we feel about something by describing the, the texture of the feeling? Or do we express how we feel about something by being who we are and coming from that place? Hmm. I think it depends on who is asking the question and whether you're trying to express something without having been asked a question. So in that case, it would definitely be who you are. But if you've been asked the question, not only do you have to try to put it in words that, that you can use, which words are very rarely adequate, but also the person standing in front of you what what of a, what of an answer do they need first and then what words would they relate to and and to make them the same that you relate to which can well, be entirely just to clarify i wasn't speaking about when one is asked about a question i was just speaking in response to what nelda said and oh, I, I, don't I, that, uh, I don't think that in life uh even when we are asked a question, the answer needs to be about what the other person needs to hear. I'm not a great master. I don't need to speak to everyone as if I am delivering some profound nugget of wisdom. That is not where I am coming from. Yeah. That's, uh, I speak that's my really truth, hard. that's it. Right. Right, and you know, thank that. you. Thank you. It's not Nanda. really what I meant. Either. Um, so, an additional response to your question. Um, I don't know how to describe it. And also, depending on who it is who's doing the asking in whatever way they're asking, whether they're using words or whatever, my answer is different depending on my audience. Because not everyone can hold what I want to share and how I want to share it. And I, mm, and I, mm, how do I say this? And some things are just mine, just mind hold. 
that I'm entitled to keep some things just for me as we all are. I like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for putting it that way. Well, I love that this got us to start thinking about how do we answer questions and why do we answer them in a particular way and, and what might take the conversation to another point. I, I did a little improv and an improv, you're never supposed to answer questions like with a yes or no, but something to keep the conversation going. Mm -hmm. And not you know, like I agree, but not uh, taking it too far away. It's a really fine balance uh, and always making it out as if you really understood the question. But so you're giving like the right answer, but not the expected answer. But not also something that will close the conversation. Mm -hmm. So how lovely that the answer that was given in this koan didn't close anything. It opened worlds, right? Look at look at what it's opened for us in a very short time. Yeah, he might go away for a few <laughs> years and then come back and say, you know, well, I scratched all the hair off my head. Now, uh, can you say a little more about the rice of tea in China? Okay, so what, are, if anything else on this, or should we go to next week's koan? We go next week. Okay. Uh, Nelda, would you read the introduction and then someone else could read the case? Give me just a moment and I'll get there. Number six, Mazu's White and Black, age 23, introduction. When you can't open your mouth, a tongueless man can speak. Where you lift your feet without rising, a legless man can walk. If you fall within their range and die at the phrase, how can you have any freedom? When the four mountains all oppress you, how can you penetrate to freedom? Ed, you want to read the case? I'm sorry, can we read it again, please? Oh, sure. Ed, would you read it again, the introduction? Um, okay, introduction, where you, yeah, white and black, where you can't open your mouth, a tongueless man can speak. Where you lift your feet without rising, a legless man can walk. If you fall within their range and die at the phrase, how can you have any freedom? When the four mountains all oppress? I think it's oppress. Yeah, I think it's oppress you. How can you penetrate to freedom? Just looking it up. It's a press in my book. Okay. I mean, in the hard copy, yes. Great. Okay, and who would like to read the case? Melissa? Okay. Um, a monk asked great master Mazu, apart from the four propositions and beyond the hundred negations, please directly point out the meaning of living Buddhism. If they knew the point of this monk's question, it would save people untold mental power. The great master said, I'm tired out today and I can't explain for you. There's already the moon in the boat. Go ask Zazeng, he adds wind to the sail. The monk asks Zazeng, after all he accepts, after all he accepts people's judgments. Zazeng said, why don't you ask the teacher? 
good texts are much the same. The monk said, the teacher told me to ask you. How very bright and sharp. Zazang said, I have a headache today and can't explain for you. Ask brother, hi. I shouldn't be able to be a master Ma's disciple. The monk asked hi, a bitter a bitter gourd is bitter to the root. Hai said, when I come this far, after all, I don't understand. A sweet melon is sweet to the stem. The monk related this to the great master. Get some money for shoes, Mazu said. Zhang's head is white. Hai's head is black. Investigate for 30 more years. <laughs> mm, one more time, what is the great yeah. name? <laughs> uh, Nandia, I'm wondering if you would read it without the quotes. Ed, the quotes are uh, Thomas Cleary's comments. So he's the contemporary translator. Got it. A monk asked great Mr. Mazu, apart from the four propositions and beyond the hundred negations, please directly point out the meaning of living Buddhism. The great master said, I'm tired out today and can't explain for you. Go ask Zhang. The monk asked Zhang. Zhang said, why don't you ask the teacher? The monk said, the teacher told me to come ask you. Zhang said, I have a headache today and can't explain for you. Ask brother Hai. The monk asked Hai. Hai said, when I come this far, after all, I don't understand. The monk related this to the great master. Mazu said, Zhang's head is white, Hai's head is black. Okay, so this is our koan for next week. Thank you all for being here. Anyone want to say anything more before we close? Such great sharing from everyone today. Thank you. You've expanded my practice. I appreciate it so much. This is really neat. We, Thank you. When we, we have um, a number of people. It was also neat last time. It was just Nandia and I. Oh, cool. What, wasn't that last week, Nandia? Yeah. Um, Zhang's head is white, Hal's head is black. And I will send you the PDF of the book. Thank you. And um, it still has some typos, which the printed book doesn't have. So we'll learn. live with them. I'll learn to not ask questions about typos. Okay. <laughs> And and I'll, you know, it's really fun the questions you get asked in photography, isn't it? Like one one was, uh, how do I know when to press the button? Yeah, um, and the, I meant it good heartedly, and usually it was taken this way, but back in the day, um, before digital cameras, uh, when point and shoots became the most popular thing for people to get uh, with the built-in lenses. Uh, I was managing a uh, one-hour lab store um, here uh, on Kauai, and people would come in, and I want to be a better photographer, I want to be a great photographer, um, but I can't, you know, get all that sophisticated equipment and separate lenses, yada, yada, yada. And, um, you know, from a sales point of view, I'm like, got you covered. Not a problem. We have these marvelous point-and-shoot cameras. And I would tell them, 
will take five minutes if this is something that you think you'd like to be invested in and you can afford it. Um, we'll go ahead and do that. And then um, I will have before you walk out of here, you will have a PhD in photography. And of course, they look at me like what? So the wonderful thing with those point and shoot cameras was I put film in there for them, make sure they knew how to load it on their own, said, okay, let's step outside of the store. Here's something of interest. Put the camera up to your eye, look through the viewfinder, take your finger, and you see that button? Push here, dummy. Here's your PhD. <laughs> Instant picture. <laughs> but most people got it, and they laughed and were enjoyable. A couple of people were a little ticked off, but... All, all in good nature stuff because yeah, the questions you get in photography are they're, they're total Cohen's in and of themselves. So one time I was I was talking about you know what a great photograph is, and and it was like the first day of class, and um, said, well, how do I open the back of the camera to put the film in? Oh, so I love that. <laughs> What is the price of rice in Luling? Yeah. Exactly. yeah. What's the price of a roll of 12 exposure film? How do you take the most beautiful photo ever? How do you load the camera? He actually had someone open the back of the camera to see if they got good pictures on their film. I kid you not. Oh, no. oh sure. And, and this koan has elements of, if you really look at it, the case, how do I load the camera? Yeah. It does. So we'll see what comes up next week. And when okay. all else fails, you have retinal photography. Take it with your eyes and remember it with your brain. Do you know what there Zen you photography go. is, Ed? Did you guys ever talk about Zen photography? We have talked um, a lot about Zen photography, contemplative photography. No, 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 no. It's better than that. Zen photography is when you shoot pictures without film. Oh, jeez. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've done that. You know, and you got you got the best picture of your life, <laughs> or the film cat, the film, the lens cap on, or something like that. Yeah, I've I've done that with the lens cap and also oh. with the film in the camera. Yeah, winding away. Emptiness, emptiness. <laughs> or you don't the film's not engaged and it's you you keep going on and on and all of a sudden you realize yeah. I didn't take any pictures. How do I have so when there's shots? no um when there's no film, where's the picture? Well, there is no picture. There is no film, and emptiness is the fullness of emptiness. There Are you, you go. Sure no there picture? you go. Thank you. I, 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 I disagree. <laughs> the picture, there's still a picture. Yeah. Can you go ahead? Yeah. No one else still might there. see it. It's still there. Yeah. It's still there. All right. Okay. Good night, all. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you all. Bye.